When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, this is the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast, the Spotify and Villa Romana Network production. I'm Alan Davis. And I'm Joey Sanders. Hi Joey, how you been? I'm great. How about you? I'm okay. I've been sick for almost three weeks. I know, I've been checking on you every day. It's really got me to the edge of my nervous system. Yeah, I can imagine. Because well, the cough alone has... It's the cough. That's all I have left. So I caught this bad cold that everybody has going around. And of course, like everybody else, I panicked. It's COVID, right? So I tested, came up negative. Uh, it got really bad. Like it became fluish and my lungs, you know, felt hard to breathe. And I thought, oh, no, this is COVID, Right. So I took another test three days later, came up negative. Then I did a teleconference with my doctor and uh, like two days after that. And he said, well, let's do another COVID test just to make sure. So I did another one with him, negative. He said, okay, well, there is this terrible cold that's going around that feels more like the flu than a cold. I said, yeah, I never got the congestion. I never got the sniffle, none of that stuff, right? I said, but I could feel all that stuff sort of draining down into my chest and my stomach. So what had happened, of course, is I had this terrible sore throat. I mean, for three days, it was painful just to And you swallow. had a headache. Yeah, and headaches and, and all that. So, Girl, I better back my chair up. That sounds like COVID. <laughs> you, another person. <laughs> I'm going to tell you about a friend who insisted I had COVID in a minute. But what happened is I had an infection in my throat. So as this stuff's draining from my cold at night, it's going into your lungs. So it brought the infection into my lungs. So I had a second teleconference with the doctor. We did a fourth test just to make sure it wasn't COVID again, and which was also negative. This is now two weeks of taking COVID tests. And so he then prescribed a pack and this nasal stuff so that it wouldn't drain so much in some other pill. And I don't know, something else. I was on all these things. And sure enough, as soon as he did that, everything cleared up. The only thing that hasn't cleared up is the cough, is the cough because I have all this crap in my chest. All right. So one question. But it's better and better and better every day. Did you test for RSV? Yeah, he already. it's not RSV. Because okay. he already knew from what uh, was going on that it was an infection in the lungs. And the stuff that he gave me was for that. And literally 24 hours later, I felt <clears throat> a million times better. But um, I did have one friend I spoke to who said, oh no, those are the COVID symptoms. I said, I know they're COVID symptoms, but I have tested four times and it's come up negative. I've talked to the doctor twice. I've seen the doctor twice. And he says, it's going around. Everybody has it. It's not COVID. And this person comes, no, you have COVID. I said, okay, so now you so and this... your social media is now an expert. So you know more than the four COVID tests and my doctor. And the person you were 
telling this who is Dr. Fauci? Yes. <laughs> Poor Dr. Fauci. I like Dr. Fauci. I did too. But if he's but... telling you you got COVID, girl, you got COVID. That almost started the whole revolution by him telling people they had COVID and they didn't want to hear they had COVID. Oh, you mean all those dead people, the million yeah, four those people that yeah. said that there is no COVID? Uh-huh. Yeah. And the relatives that are like, oh, I miss him so much. Right. But they didn't have COVID. But they didn't have COVID. Mm-hmm. A couple things. Let's let's go to your stink. Oh, what is your stink for the week? Well, there's there's I have two stink things on my list. Wow. Yeah, because I'm surprised you don't have three. Well, I could, but I want I want blow it all at one you know session. Um, there's a new term going around, so now you're not just heterosexual or homo. Sexual, mm-hmm. you can now be homoflexible. Isn't that bisexual? Well, or, or are you a, a contortionist? <laughs> a gay contortionist? I'm homoflexible. <laughs> you know, I can't with all these millennials coming up with shit. Every I'll tell day you where I that comes from. Out. Is it? The sugar daddy paying the bills or the sugar mommy? And that's what makes you flexible. Whoever I will pay to, the bills yeah, is where you that go. Is, that's called flex pay. <laughs> you flex, I'll pay. Right, exactly. <laughs> okay, what's your second stink? Okay, now. Or should I do my stink and you do your second stink? Yeah, you do your stink, I'll do my stink. Okay, so, you know what drives me crazy? You're texting. So you're texting someone, hey, what are you doing tonight? And they text, oh, nothing. You want to get together? Sure. Should we meet for a drink? Yes, that would be great. How about we meet at 5 p.m.? Perfect. See you there. No. How about 5 p.m.? And then you never hear from them. Oh, It's like, were we not just in a conversation? We've been texting back and forth as if we're on the phone, and suddenly they just stop. Oh, yeah, all the time. It's like- Drives me- all the time this happens. It's like, well, wait a minute. So now are we meeting? Are we not meeting? They don't answer. And then 30 minutes later, you know, you're texting going, hey, where'd you go? And then 30 minutes later, oh, sorry, I was busy or I got busy. It's like, okay, but you just asked me to meet you for a drink. And then you stopped in the middle of the conversation. People do this all the time. Yeah. It's so rude. Yeah. There's no etiquette. So we, we should come up with a little book called text kit <laughs> the rules of texting it's that so is, rude it's beyond rude it drives me crazy it happens all the time and, and they, i'm sorry it's stink it's stink and what's more stink is when they initiate it like i was sleeping i don't need a good morning at seven o'clock right and if you are going to say good i'm going to say okay i hey good morning it's quite early isn't it crickets Oh, no. Well, what did you code more? You're not an alarm clock. Right. Why did you text me for in the original? Why were you texting me? To start my day annoyingly. <laughs> no, I know. It drives, drives me. me batty. What's your second stinker? Oh, second stink. So I'm shopping the other day at Gelson's, my favorite your fa- store. Yes. Your favorite expensive store. My favorite <laughs> rape kit shop. Yeah. Uh, and there's a woman in front of me, 55, 50, you know, right right around, you know, circling 60. Okay. So much with, older than us. 
much. Okay. With pigtails. <laughs> okay. Now, Margaret Josephs, I love you with all my heart. You're a powerhouse in pigtails. But pigtails over the age of 12 is pushing it. But certainly over 60. Or, or, or just under, or even in the neighborhood, even driving through the neighborhood <laughs> is brutal. Right. But then, okay, and I could just swallow that only because I love Marge so much, and I know that she came up with that whole pigtails over 40 business. And I'll just try not to be so hard on it. But the fact that when I look down, because I was embarrassed that she'd see me staring at the back of the part, the part in the back of her head. Right. Uh, she's wearing black Mary Janes with lace socklets. <laughs> I it was mean, the look. Wasn't she going after a look? Well, it's not Halloween. I know it's October and people like to start decorating early. But come on. So I just kind of backed my cart up and went straight to the liquor department and got a couple of bottles of vodka and then got back in line. I mean, come on. Come on, ladies. Yeah, I know. It's true. Well, I don't know where my next thing is, whether actually it's stink or it's my movie review. But, and I'm going to get a lot of flack for this. But have you seen Barbie? You know, I haven't. I hated reason. every frame of that movie. Like I Every single frame. I, I know better. And... I just let it go right past me. When it came on streaming, Will and I were like, okay, let's nope. see what all the fuss is about. Let's nope. see why my assistant paid to see this three times. And well, which assistant? They both actually have seen it multiple times and liked it, as millions and zillions of people did worldwide. What's shocking to me is of all the movies Warner Brothers has made over the years, this is the movie that has made the most money ever I, know. I hated it it was crap it was stupid it was silly the acting was atrocious the only person that should be nominated in that movie is the set designer because the sets were really kind of you know fun and cool and i mean and don't you know will ferrell and all that stupidity I, we hated it and who was the set designer trixie uh mattel I don't know, but I just thought, what did people like about this? <laughs> I thought it was so insipid. So if you're out there and you agree with me, please let me know. I couldn't possibly, Will and I could not possibly be the only ones. We kept going, what did people like about this? Well, it was female empowerment. Stupid. It was so stupid. It wasn't female empowerment. It was Barbie empowerment. It was unbelievably ridiculous. Okay, well, ridiculous as it is. The fact that it's a doll, a plastic, non-existent, not breathing. She doesn't even have a pussy. And Ken doesn't even have a penis. Well, they actually make fun of that in the movie. They, they mention Wouldn't it you? multiple times. I hated it. I despised it. I do not see what people liked about it. I thought it was terrible, terrible, terrible. Okay, so what I... I did not see the movie and, and I was smart enough to know I have this, I'm going to avoid this like like the plague or, or, 
or whatever it is. You well, you have. should see twenty minutes of it. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but, but but what but what I did see were all the people coming out of the movie and sticking these big asses getting in the Barbie in these boxes. Boxes. I know. That was enough to make me go. You know, Barbie. Well, I'll tell you, it was a marketing. It was a marketing sensation, and the marketing around it was genius. Uh, Should we introduce our guest? Uh, (laughs) Let me calm down a minute. I know. Oh my god! Now I'm coughing. See, you do have COVID. Oh, would you stop? Let's talk about our guest because I think this is going to be a super interesting interview. Uh, Let's set it up a little bit. So about four years ago or five years ago, you and I were passing through London. Yes. And you said, you know what? I want to look up a friend of mine from- I hadn't spoken to- In 20 years. High school. school. Wow. And it was Eddie Armani. Not literally from high school. We met in high school. Right. But uh, so we met him in London. He was- uh, a friend, a companion, a, a support, a dresser. He was everything for Tina Turner. Yeah, he was her, her confidant, her personal assistant. Everything, right? And he had written a book. And her best uh, friend. Yeah. He had written a book about 25 years ago about that relationship. And, of course, she died in May. And... Uh, somehow you and he had a conversation and said, hey, you know, why don't you put that book back into print? And so I read the book and did some editing on it. We brought it up to date. Uh, interestingly enough, I, I, I really liked the book. It's very personal. Mm-hmm. It's things at some points, you know, had it been me, I probably wouldn't revealed some of those things about my friend. But... They don't come off as bad when you read it. What you see are two people who grow. He comes into her life at a very young age. Very naive. And she's at with Ike Turner at the time. And so he, he goes through all th- that part of her life and that abuse. And and he's with her at the time when you know she decides to break it off with Ike. So you have these two people, and her career is now growing on its own without Ike. And you have two people who are growing and learning together, in a sense, holding hands while they explore the world and learn sort of the freedom that they have. And it's rather touching in that way. And what I think works about the book is you see both of them growing throughout the book, changing, becoming a little more independent, finding and searching for the things that are really going to make themselves independently happy, which makes them grow apart a little bit because, you know, it's not about each other, but it's about their own lives. I think the book really works. It's super interesting. And it's a great look for anybody who's worked with a celebrity. I mean, they're people. With same problems, same things, fragilities, you know, all of that. You know, everything from the damn, you know, garbage disposal won't work to we've got to pick up laundry, right? Yeah. And so what you see is a, a real side of Tina Turner rather than the manufactured side. You see what's going on behind the scenes to in order to create what the public sees. And it's quite interesting. And I think it 
brings you closer to her because you understand her as a human, not as a superstar. Yes. Well, we'll talk more in depth when Eddie comes on the show, because I was there for a lot of those experiences in that relationship with he and she. And um, yeah, there'll be a lot of stories that we uh, we can remember together because right. some very interesting things and and parallels, which you may see in the book, but you will definitely get out of this interview even as much because of to hear him talk about it and we compare the parallels is very, very interesting. Right. Because they were both two, you, you wouldn't think it, that a 14-year-old boy befriends a superstar and to find out that they were both similarly naive about many of these same things. So their experience together, they almost learned those things together. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They grew together. Very, very interesting. Yeah. Well, I think it's going to be a great interview. It was a fascinating book. And when we come back from break, we're going to have Eddie Armani. Can't wait to see him. All right, we're back. And we have Eddie Armani, who is the author of a book called The Real Tea and Me, about his 22 years of living and traveling and companioning Tina Turner. Welcome, Eddie. Hello. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so good to see you, Mr. Eddie, dear. It's so good to see you, too. And, you know, um, because of thinking about this interview was coming up, it made me think of the few things in Los Angeles that I do miss. Um, as you know, I don't miss the weather at all, but uh, recently I've, I've, I'm feeling a little Los Angeles homesick, eh? I, I don't miss the weather at all. This is someone who's been living in London for 25 years. It's <laughs> <laughs> the worst weather on the planet. I don't miss the weather there. It's too blue and, and sunny and warm. Every Brit that I know strangle you for that statement. Actually, can I just um, correct you there? Uh, it has yes, been almost uh, almost 40 years when I moved to London, if you remember. Oh, you're right. Time flies. Yeah, yeah but I was, I was trying to give you some grace. Well, you know something? I have decided um, when you write a book... You're going to embrace. You have to put your... If you can write a book, you have to tell the truth. And you have to put yourself out there. And there is no skeletons in my closet. I did this because of, for myself, first of all, because I needed to remember to acknowledge a lot of the stuff that I, I, I achieved. And that achievement from such a young age is something that I'm very proud of. So, you know, five years, 10 years ago, if you had asked me my age, I probably wouldn't even know what my age was. I still don't I know. know I know what it is. Exact age. Well, I know what it is. We don't have to. Well, we don't have to go that far. <laughs> but I just have to say that, no, for a long time, I always lied about my age, put my age back and did this. And I had to do it for the being in the entertainment business because, you know, um, I actually started my career um, solo I, I, about 25 years old, which is considered to be a little bit older, you know. Um, most people yeah, start especially 15, these 16, days. 17, you know, so. Um, yeah. Yes, I, 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 I have decided a long time ago that 
When you tell the truth, you don't have to have a good memory. Right. Well, at some point, it just doesn't make sense to lie about your age. Joey and I never lie about our age. He's 50 and I'm 48, and we're happy to put it out there. Yes. I mean, we've earned and every... Look... And we look we look 62. <laughs> <laughs> you look fantastic. And you, you know, and, and, and... Oh, bless you, Alan. Poor Alan. It's I know. It's driving me nuts. Poorly. I'm making sure there's six feet diff distance between well, these. Well, you better get that snot <laughs> off your forehead that I just flew across <laughs> the room. Jesus Christ. I hope you spoke to that doctor. I did. I'm not, <laughs> that I'm not contentious. <laughs> well, it was well, so, Eddie, wait a minute. Let's back up for a second. Because you yes. said, you know, you have to be truthful. Did you find it difficult when writing the book to sort of put yourself out there and tell the truth? And did you have any regrets that you had told some of these stories about your time with Tina? There, you know, some of them are rather personal about her, but even though they include you. You know, when I decided to write the book, I this was never a kiss and tell book. This was a book I really wanted to get out there. And I don't think the message quite got out there because I didn't do enough publicity. I didn't be, was able to, I wasn't able to let people know my side of the story. I was so proud of what I achieved and what I had done and where I had come from to be, to be able to share a quarter of my life with this woman. Instead, the majority of my life was with this woman. And uh, I mean, you know, I, I was proud. And I wanted to share it. And then I also told, I mean, there's fans out there all around the world. If you say to me today, Eddie Armani, there is no way I could ever do what I did then now. It's a different world. It's a different time. There was no securities, no all this kind of stuff. I just wormed my way in. I wanted something. I, 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 I craved for it. I didn't, I never even thought about how I was going to do it. I just knew I was going to do it. And I knew that Tina Turner was going to be my best friend. She was my idol. She was everything to me. I studied her like a Bible. I mean, I knew the way she walked, talked. There was even times um, uh, Tina used to joke to me when we were on the road together and she was having a kind of a little bit of a, oh gosh, okay, it's time to be Tina. She would go, oh, Eddie, just go put the wig on. You could be, you be Tina. You know Tina better than Tina. You know, that's how well, close we were. Let me interrupt one one second, and I'll just jar your memory on this. We were at the Fairmont Hotel in San Francisco. She was starting a was it starting a tour, or she was just performing? She was doing some acts before before she hit big again. Do you remember that? Oh yes, yes, yes. Oh, we were doing the okay. Fairmont Hotels, the McDonald conventions. Yes, yes. So. We were we had done the we flew up with Tina. We had a nice weekend. Saw the show was fantastic, and we were waiting in the lobby of the hotel for the limousine to pick us up for the airport. And Tina was getting antsy, and she says, "Eddie, where's that damn car? Find the car." So you and I went out to the front of the hotel just to ask the you know the doorman if they if the car had pulled up yet. And as we came out, there was a person and his wife, a gentleman and his wife, waiting outside for their car. And we walked through, and the guy said to you, fantastic show last night, Tina. <laughs> and you turned <laughs> and you, you turned around, and you went, I oh, yes, 
thank you. You had your sunglasses on. And then I and I hit you and I said, is he crazy? Eddie, you have a mustache. And then you, <laughs> you turned him in. You, you turned him in. You said, shh, so does Tina. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Now that I do remember us. now. <laughs> yes, and she, yes, yes. Uh, oh, my gosh, yes. Yes, because that's when we got into, if you, I don't know if you guys have a product in America called Jolene. Uh, yeah. It's a, a facial hair lightening. It's a bleaching. Or... A bleach, a bleach, yes. And I used to have to go run out and get that for Tina because Tina used to do, um, use the, the, and because she, Tina was quite hairy, actually, and she would um, um, bleach her, her facial hair, and of course, and we'd yeah. get it for the makeup and all that kind of stuff and everything. But the right. problem is, all that time I was so busy buying all that for Tina, I should have bought some for myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the old razor still works pretty good. <laughs> hey, so Eddie, tell us quickly, in summary, how it is that you met Tina Turner. Give us that quick rundown of how you met her and how you guys became so close. How it became, how I met Tina basically was, um, I was such a fan. Um, I used to, I was born in Seattle, Washington. We moved to Los Angeles. I was 12 years old. And for the first time ever, I went to an all black school. Um, uh, it was junior high school and, um, it didn't go down well, um, with my accent, which was, um, uh, a little bit English anyway. Um, well, that and you Seattle. thought you were white. No, you know what I thought, Alan? I never thought about being black, white, green, or purple. I was just surrounded by the people I grew up with, and I was influenced by that. But when I yes, actually of course, went like in, anybody, yeah. When I went into an urban kind of situation, um, uh, the, the the blacks weren't so welcoming. I mean, you know, they right. they took offense to me, mm -hmm, and I sense. used to go. So 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 going back to what your question was, so I became more of a recluse. And so every day after school, I go home, I do my homework, and as soon as I did my homework, I put on my music. And all I played was Ike and Tina Turner. And I got lost in my world and whatever, and I just kept thinking, and I'm being a religious background, I used to pray, oh God, please let me meet Tina Turner, please. I was actually, yes, obsessed with this woman to a point where when I was listening to her music, I was thinking about what she was doing, how she is, if she, what she cooked, what she ate what she wanted to go when she got shopping. So I was in my own little fantasy world. And so I picked up one of the album covers and I, no, I called information back in the day. And then I said, I don't remember if it was 411 or whatever. And I said, hi, can I have the phone number to Ike? I said, can I have the phone number to Ike and Tina Turner? And the woman said, um, came back on the phone. She says, no, we have no listening. I said, well, you have to. She lives in Los Angeles. I know she does. So I was this obsessive kid and I kept calling, kept calling. Then one day I looked at the back of the album cover and I saw it said Bollock Sound Recording Studio. So I thought, well, let me try that. And I actually called 411 to ask for the number for Bollock Sound Recording Studio, thinking they were going to say there was no number. All of a sudden she said, oh, here's your number. And I went, oh, I screamed. I went, oh my gosh, hold on, hold on. I had to run and get a pen. I came back. I got the phone number, got the phone number. And I, every day after school, I would call this recording studio and this lovely lady named Linda Krauss, um, answered the phone, Bollock Sound Recording Studio, and she was very kind to me. And I would say, can I speak to Tina? She, Tina's not here. Da, 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 da. 
And so this went on for about, oh gosh, six months. And I would ask her all kind of questions and stuff. And then she would have to say, Eddie, I have to go. I have to go. But I brought her kind of a little bit of, oh my gosh, this ex- this little fan's going to call me about X amount of time because my timing was always the same or whatever. And then um, she said, I have a surprise for you. We're going, Ike and Tina Turner's going to have a grand opening of the recording studio, Bollocks Down Recording Studio. And I've asked permission to see if you can come because you're Ike and Tina's biggest fan. So then I, we had to go through the whole thing, get permission from my mother and do all this stuff and go back and forth. And I went. And when I went into the recording studio and walked through those big doors, um, it was all the iCats. By this time, I knew the iCats. I knew um, uh, who was married to who. I knew the band musicians. I knew everything. I studied everything. And um, so when I went there, there was all these adults and they were smoking cigarettes and drinking champagne and whatever. And I was just walking through everything. But my main thing was I had to see Tina. So, Eddie, the book has some rather intimate stories in it. Things like Tina would call you and say, you know, rush on over. Let me tell you about my date last night. And she'd give you details on the date. Did this give you any cause for concern that you were sharing sort of these intimate stories with the public? Um, no. Yes, they were intimate, and there were some things that I think that may be um, that uh, Tino maybe wouldn't have wanted me to share, but I felt that we were such like, you know, best friends, girlfriends, brother and sister, that we shared so much, and I, I kind of wanted to share with people to show people the real side of Tina, you know, um, there's a lot of things in the book to, to, to show how down to earth she was. At the same time, she could you know, scrub up and be a diva in five seconds. But I think that the way I told the stories, I think it was done with class, style, but making it fun. Yeah, I mean, I thought that they were intimate stories, but I wasn't shocked by any of them. I was, I mean, some people, you know, if you're a church going, really good Christian girl, you know, and you're 30 and never had sex, then you might be shocked by some of the stories. You also won't exist. <laughs> a person doesn't exist. No, that does not exist. <laughs> I think that, you know, something we have to just um, listen. At the end of the day, the stories that I told, even about Tina with the doctor, um, doctor, oh, I can't think of his name now. Um, and I'm so good with um, men. But he did her breast and they end up going out on a date and da da da. And she turns around and she says to him, How do you like your work? I think that's fantastic. And 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 he was very happy with his work. <laughs> yeah, no, that was a good story. I mean, there's other things where she talks about, you know, her romantic Dr. Seaford. Yeah. Yes, yes. There's other yeah. stories where she shares sort of, you know, the sexual encounter of the evening before. But what I think comes through is that it's not like she was doing this every night. She wasn't a loose woman in that sense. Not she, at all. She Not caught all. An, uh, the eye of somebody and she would focus on them for quite some time and, and not kind of let go of that pursuit. Can I interject here for a second to say that when um, when Tina left Ike and then Tina um, went solo, um, all the things that we normally do um, when we're in our teens, um, going into our 20s and all that stuff and dating, Experiencing this and that and da da da. 
Tina didn't get to experience that. She was stuck with the man who was abusive and everything was work and she was developing herself self as a star. So by the time Tina actually left Ike and um, she started, um, she got her freedom and she started living, she was actually in reality like an 18-year-old, 19-year-old, 21-year-old girl. She was experiencing life and having fun. So the, uh, uh, I know I'm going fast forward here, but when you look at Tina after the Ike and Tina days and then Tina during that period of doing Las Vegas and Anne Margaret and all that stuff, and then moving on to um, what's love got to do with it and private dance and all that. Why did Tina look so good? Why did Tina all of a sudden become young? Why did the young audience embrace her? Because Tina was living her youth for the first time um, during that period. So she kind of like, you know, it went the other way. Yeah, they related to her, and she related to it. You know, it, it's not an unusual story, you know, especially when you marry young and then you're free later in life. You know, it, it is something that is part of exploration. And, and I think the endearing quality of, of you telling the stories, uh, it shows like a camaraderie, a, a, almost like a girlfriend thing you know like pillow talk yeah well we it was were pillow it talk, was pillow actually. talk yeah and and it wasn't like um i think shares like this also tina didn't have and joey you know this tina didn't have when she was off stage not being tina um, when she was off stage and not working tina didn't have a lot of people around her there were very few right. people around i was one of the main uh friends confidants uh, people that were with her, we would go shopping together. I cooked for her. Uh, she tried to cook and I'd just say, Oh no, you stick to singing. Let me cook. I mean, we had so much fun staying up. And, um, for example, we would watch old black and white Betty Davis movies and Joan Crawford movies and we would make a deal. We would only have one, uh, tub of Hagendas and we would share it. And that's it. <laughs> and we wouldn't, go, that's it. No more. Oh, well, that lasted about maybe three minutes into the movie. And she was like, Eddie, go get that other tub of hog and I said, no, you said. She goes, well, listen, I'm telling you right now. Go get it. And I mean, just little <laughs> things like that. And we would eat out of the same yeah. tub. You know, we, we shared. and We were intimate. And it was good for her. And Tina, of course, one thing about Tina, she could talk. She loved to talk. And she wasn't yeah, one of those kind of women that was like, um, she wasn't prissy as far as like, she was very outgoing. Very had um and she loved to laugh and she loved to I mean when Joey met Tina I have to interject here to say when Joey met Tina I went upstairs to get them a drink I came back Joey and Tina are on, in Tina's bedroom on the floor with her, her her dream book looking at all the pictures about Georgia Armani and this and that and da, da, da. I mean it wasn't like sitting at the table being formal you know drinking champagne and you know and she had that that quality that she didn't get to that experience. familiarity you yeah. know I and remember if she said, that bastard can sew. Was it Armani? Aliyah. Yeah. No, yeah. was it Armani or Azadine? No, it was it was Armani. Cause she always had that thing. That was, oh. It was before Aliyah. Yes. yes. Oh, yeah, okay. So she was, yes, she yeah. was a very down-to-earth kind of person. She was actually living in her youth. We shared everything. Um, and, of course, there's a lot of stuff and things that I would never even tell my, myself. Um, right. But 
there's, you know, there's a privacy line that I, of course, won't cross. Um, so the things that I told were trying to be in fun and jazz, um, how, you know, she was like, and she was young. She was youthful, you know? And Tina was the same age as my mother. I mean, you know, it, and funny enough, exactly the same age. And, um, my mother and I would laugh about certain things, but we would never go to that thing. I mean, my mother was, and my, funny enough that you know that my family, as much as close as I was to Tina and traveled with her and all that, no, none of my family ever met her. No, I oh, know. really? No, yeah. no. My sister actually, when well, I let me ask you, mom, you oh, go ahead. No, no, you, you go, because otherwise I'll hijack the interview. You're supposed to be interviewing me. Okay. <laughs> well, you invoked Cher's name, and I was curious, when did Tina and Cher become so friendly? Because I happen to know that near the end, Cher flew over to Switzerland to see Tina. I've got to say to you, Cher and Tina were always close. Um, back in the day when Sonny and Cher, well, back in the day when Sonny and Cher did I Got You Babe and all that stuff, they were on the same circuits a lot, you know, doing these festival things. Um, and then, of course, Ike and Tina were always the last to come on because they were such a powerhouse. And Tina always remembered Cher. And then years later, Sonny and Cher got their television show. And um, it was great because um, they had Ike and Tina turn around, of course. And Tina and Cher just got on like a house on fire. And what Cher always said about Tina, which was which was so fantastic, is that, I mean, I've got a mouth like a sailor. And Tina's such a lady. Tina would wear her gabardine. Tina was totally the opposite of what people thought. And Cher was just as wild as she, as you could never think that she would be. Do you know what I mean? Wearing all the Bob Mackie gowns and all that stuff. And so from the beginning of Ike and Tina doing Sunny and Cher, Tina and Cher just had a natural bond. They weren't like in each other's business. And, you know, uh, uh, I don't think they ever even went shopping together. But when they just got on so well and Cher uh, looked up to Tina and Tina loved Cher. And they would talk about hair and makeup and do all that kind of stuff. And Tina was actually a little bit kind of baffled when she was around Cher. Again, because Cher was such a tomboy, you know, and she was so funny and Cher was so open. And Tina was a little bit, Tina, she was very classy and very much a lady, you know. But with the Ike and Tina yeah. Turner's reputation and being as wild as they were on stage, um, people would think that Tina Turner would be the wild one. And Cher would be the classy one, because Cher was wearing all the Mackie stuff and da 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 And Tina was, you know, wild and proud Mary and Nutbush City Limits and all that kind of stuff. Um, but they were the opposite. And that I think that opposite thing, they just they just clicked. They just got That's on. what attracted. Yes. And Cher always enjoyed having uh Tina on um her show. Right. Do you want to discuss uh, there was some dispute uh feud not feud but um anger at tina from some fans because she didn't have a lot of black people in her band oh do you know what i will clear that up it's a load of bollocks um and what i mean by that is that you know what we get into it wasn't so much about having black or white and um, what it was she had kenny moore who was as black as you can be and he was the keyboard player and he was tina support um, he was her he musical was, director. He was her musical director. And he was with Tina, got in Tina's first band after um, when she formed her first band and going solo. Um, but 
I, I've heard that several times, and it was the musicians that came to audition. It wasn't like Tina was going, um, oh, he's black, I'm not going to hire him, or da da da. And actually, the first band that Tina did put together after she left Dice, there were more black musicians in there. But you have to remember something else, too. Even back in the day with the Ike and Tina Turner days, they had such a mixture of musicians. They weren't all black, they weren't all white, or was this and that. And there was such a mixture. And Ike and Tina's audience, going back to Ike and Tina Turner's audience, was always a mix. Basically, almost more white audience. More white than days. black. Can you get the dogs to stop barking? Oh my gosh, can you hear them? Okay, hold yes. on a second. Hold on a second. There was a couple places in the book where you intimated that Tina was um, trying to put this gently. She was more comfortable around white people many times than some black people because they didn't act so outrageously. Is that a good way to put it? Basically what it was, when Tina was with Ike and Tina Turner, and they had, Ike had um, all of these parties, Ike had, um, uh, Tina was a workhorse, Ike had all the parties, there was the drugs, there was the girls coming in and out, there was this and that and da da da. And Ike Turner, remember, is street. And when he started doing the drugs and started drinking and doing all that, then he, his black side really came out, the street side. So basically, from the beginning of Tina seeing that from the early, early days, they had grew out of that because they were working so much and doing whatever. And then when Ike started getting all the money, he was showing off. And then you, you walk to the studio and you never know who you would, who would, you would run into. Sometimes there'd be, um, let's say somebody would bring somebody and then they would pick up somebody and somebody else would come and they would street people and they were just low lives. And she really wanted to separate herself from all of that because the recording studio basically was a drug den and it was anybody and everybody. And, um, there was, and, and, and the, and the blacks were, uh, that did come. They were, it was during that time of, you know, Shaft and these black, uh, movies that were very successful and all that. And it seems like a lot of the musicians and people wanted to kind of imitate that kind of street thug type of thing. And Tina didn't like it. She, she didn't like being around that. Yeah. She didn't, I, I, there's something I can say. I, but I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble for Um, I don't think I should say it because I'll probably get in a lot of trouble. And I don't want to get in trouble. But basically, we, we used to have a cold word between us uh, about people like that. We'd see them and go, oh, that's a bit too, you know, I'm not going to use the word, but it's a bit too street, um, too urban or too street. And, and, and that ghetto. wasn't inviting ghetto. You know, it wasn't inviting into our world, her world, you know. Yeah, um, I, well, she, I did because she had a she did have a higher standard for herself. Oh, she also she liked the finer things, and she she had etiquette. And I think because I remember sitting with her, and she we she come to my house for dinner, and we'd speak about all these things, and she was very proper the way the table was set, and she and she would notice those things. Oh, Joey, you know, I just have to. Uh, I have to, can I tell, I have to uh, tell the story. Tina, um, there was a restaurant called Bono's. It was Sonny Bono's restaurant. Sonny and, Bono uh, owned it. Yeah, Sonny Bono owned it. And um, Tina, Joey used to work there. And Joey was working. Oh, God, there. I was 21. <laughs> oh, you worked? Joey was I was a waiter. There. 
And Tina went to the restaurant. She was with all, actually, she was with Randall. You had dinner with Randall someone recently. Kaiser, oh, Randall Kleiser. Yes. Um, with him and these different people. And, and Joey was waiting at David Center. And Joey was doing a great job. And Tina was watching Joey. And she always called him Joseph. And um, then they, they, they changed wine. Do you remember Joey? I do remember. <laughs> they changed wine. And then Joey went to get and the I didn't new change wine, the glass. And he didn't change the glasses. And Tina pulled Joey over to the side and said, Joseph, remember that when you change wines, you always change the glass. I mean, those are little things that she, she was so good <laughs> like that. You know, she would never embarrass uh-huh. for anything like that at all. But she just no. comes aside and she just said, Joseph. And I remember when the, she, the, the reservation came in. And she insisted that I be the waiter when when they made the because yeah because the maitre d was like well Tina Turner's coming in tonight and she wants you to wait on her table and I said oh fabulous <laughs> <laughs> oh here we go <laughs> no but to answer your question Alan she was very Tina was always very classy and I remember as a little boy um, when I was um, about fourteen when I started I Tina Turner's fan club and I used to go down. And I think by that time I was going, I, I could go on the weekends or something. And I used to just watch her. And she was she was always classy. She spoke like a lady. The way people perceive, the way they think that she was wild and all that, that was Ike Turner's no. gurus. She was never like that. She always held her head up. She was always very classy. She was always very, she always spoke well. She was always trying to better herself. And Always and polite. A lot of, always polite. And a lot of black people, I will say this. I don't care if I get in trouble because I can tell you. The th- thing is, a lot, a lot of black people, when you're trying to do better and you better yourself and you, you, you speak better and you're studying, trying to get an education and you're not trying to be street and whatever, all of a sudden they turn on you. It's like, oh, she thinks she's too good for us now. And da da da. And they go into all that street stuff. You know what I mean? Uh, a yeah, lot yeah. of people, a lot of black culture is very, very, riddled with that um you have that problem all the way back like joey was saying earlier with the josephine baker thing they did it with diana ross you know oh she thinks she's too good now she's da 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 you know you, you can never be good enough and as soon as you try to better yourself then you think you're too good for them and and it's always been well, a problem with the blacks as far as that's why black people i do say um they don't stick together they're all over the place with each other you know, there's words they call each other. But if a white person called a black person that, they'd hang them. But they can call each other that. You have to, you, you can't use that word. That word, nobody should use. And you can't blame some white guy or white boy who's looking up to that street stuff and all that ghetto stuff and all that rap stuff and hip hop and all that stuff. And he wants to imitate you and say that. Then all of a sudden you and your, 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 your homies are ready to kill him. You can't have it both ways. The difference is, is that, you know, there, there are elements of society in all cultures that aren't the highest. You know, there's a low class in everything. Yeah, and it absolutely. has nothing to do with black or has nothing to do with it's it's kind of just a, a way that they were raised or it's, it's not a social it's social economics yeah. is basically right. what it is but we and, do have to be honest though um we well hold on be- let me say this before i lose my point the difference is with white people i'm not responsible for all of them 
But black, some black people feel that if you say something against one black person, it's about all of them, and it's not. Correct. Correct. You know, and that everybody ha- and they have they have to defend that. And the truth is, it's like it's an individual situation. So Absolutely. We've got to loosen up, lighten up, and 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 get over it. I love that whole thing. All of a sudden, you know, five minutes ago they're ready to rob and kill you, but then now, okay, you okay, brother? You know, then I'm okay, sister. You know, I'm your best friend. But then, no, it's all bollocks. So to to go back to finishing out, Tina did not pur- purposely look out to just hire only the musicians that if they were white or black, um, she didn't look at them like that. She looked at if they could play what she wanted to play. And also the image was in boom, um, that she wanted them to be. And it was I mean, rock and roll. Correct. Correct. And that's basically what she played to, you know. So, Eddie, I want to read something from your book. Yes. Only because I think it's a great scene. I love sort of what it says about Tina. I'm going to set it up. But you're all at Tina's house. It's you and Bernadette, who was at one time Tina's son's fiance. And Bernadette has been seeing Randy Jackson, Michael Jackson's brother. And she's over there while you're trying to get Tina, I think, ready to go on a tour. So you're or you're doing her hair because things are doing her hair. And and Bernadette happens to be there. And Tina's sort of annoyed because Randy Jackson has now come to the front door at Tina's house looking for Bernadette and he keeps ringing the buzzer. So Tina's getting furious about all of this. Right. Yeah. Start off with Tina talking to Bernadette. She says, so why did you bother with him in the first place? Because he's Michael Jackson's brother. That doesn't mean a thing. That Randy Jackson is no good. He's like any other man getting his kick scaring women. And you put up with him running his mouth all over town. Who does he think he is? Tina's hand reached for a glass of white wine. She took a large sip and pursed her angry lips. And you gave him my phone number and address, Bernadette. How dare he keep pressing my intercom? If he presses that intercom one more time, I will call the police. He better get off my property. You left the dressing area for a moment, passed through the large open partition, and walked across Tina's bedroom to the adjoining bathroom. And you continued to listen to Tina as she delivered her motherly lecture to Bernadette. Bernadette, let me tell you something. You've got yourself an Ike Turner there. You better get rid of him. I know you're scared, but ugh. Tina threw up her hands in disgust. Suddenly, you all hear a noise outside the bedroom window. Bernadette had already scared the daylights out of all of you with horrifying stories of Randy's violence. Lejeune and Tina remained still and silent, as sounds of an intruder continued outside. There was a moment of silence and eeriness, and then, without warning, one of Tina's huge and much-treasured terracotta pots crashed through the glass doors, exploding on impact. Shards of razor-sharp glass sprayed like darts through the bedroom. There were remnants of soil and terracotta everywhere. Randy Jackson leapt through the broken window and paused for a moment, breathing and sweating heavily. Then... As he moved, the fragments of glass that covered Tina's plush cream carpet could be heard crunching beneath his heavy steps. Like an animal stalking prey, he moved towards Bernadette, muttering like a crazy man how much he loved her and needed her. 
In all the years you had spent with Tina, she had drilled you over and over on certain safety procedures should an intruder gain entry into her home. You had always thought if it happened, it would be her ex-husband, Ike. Yeah. Everyone froze, forgetting Tina's meticulous safety drills. The only one to spring into action was Tina herself. She calmly and purposefully walked into the bedroom where her eyes immediately darted to the framed pictures on her bedside table. There she hid her loaded handgun. Without looking away from the table, her other hand whipped out with unbelievable speed and grabbed a second gun, a shotgun, from behind the freestanding oval antique mirror next to her. She cocked the weapon, turned and aimed the loaded barrels at Randy Jackson's head. Her body stiff, her aim steady, Tina said with true determination, freeze or I'll blow your brains out. Randy stopped, but only for a split second. Locking eyes with Tina, he ignored her warning and lunged for Bernadette. Tina, still several feet away from Randy, raised that shotgun again and blew a hole in the ceiling of her bedroom. Randy, his face a mask of brutality, charged straight at Tina like a raging bull. Still in total control, Tina moved the barrel slightly to the side and fired towards the doorway. Then she pointed the gun directly at Randy, who, terrified, leapt through the broken window, fleeing for his life. I just love that story, that she was so in control and so used to Ike beating her up that she was not going to take this from anybody. Absolutely. Absolutely. And... Um it was it was interesting because again Bernadette was like the daughter Tina never had, <clears throat> and wasn't Bern she the ex-wife of Lynn Swan? Yeah, she married Lynn Swan first. Um, yeah, she married Lynn Swan. Joey, didn't you go to the wedding with me? It was on yeah. Hollywood Boulevard, someplace, and um, that big old church. Mm -hmm. Who is that? Football player. Oh, oh, oh. Okay, American football player, and now you know she's with Sugar Ray Leonard. Sugar, Sugar Ray. Yeah. The boxer. Yeah. She's with yeah. him. She's with him now. We know who he is. He's a good bowler. <laughs> <laughs> I forget. I'm, I'm thinking I'm speaking to, to my British family friends. And nope, they don't know who Sugar Ray is, really. I mean, but Sugar Ray's a big star <laughs> and whatever. So, Bern but Bernadette, God bless her. She was always a gold digger. Uh, she was looking. She was one of those kind of... <laughs> No, she was a gold digger. And she, her mother, I don't know if I explained this in the book, her mother was German, and her, her father was in one of those groups. It wasn't, oh gosh, I can't think of one of those old, old groups where there was like four of them. I can't remember the name. Singing now. groups? Yeah, singing groups back in the day, like the checkers. Like the four or, tops or the temptations or yeah, platters were, or something. The platters. Platters, I think the that's pl what it was. The platters, I yeah. think I say that in the book. Um, so yeah, I think it was the platters. Bernadette's, and, and I, I got to explain this a little bit, which is quite interesting. Bernadette's mother was very German, um, and she was the manager of the platters, and she was very strict. Bernadette's father was a sweetheart. He was so lovely. He was a, a musician in the group. You know, he was one of the singers or whatever. Da, da, da. Uh, Bernadette's mother was furious, and she forbid Bernadette to go out with Craig, Craig Turner, Tina Turner's son. She didn't want Bernadette to have anything to do with the Turners because the Turners, as far as she was concerned, were low rent. So it's a funny story with all that. The more mm -hmm, Bernadette's mother tried out. to push her away from you, 
really the closer she got the black side of herself. She wanted Bernadette to be more white than black, and Bernadette wanted the more black side. Uh, so it was that kind of thing. And then Bernadette's mother was always very jealous of Tina because Tina and Bernadette got really close. So it was a very interesting yeah. kind of thing. You know what those? I mean, I don't know what it's like in America now because I've been away for so long. But in England, we have that problem with um, a lot of the mixed race kids feel they can't find themselves. They they don't know. So they always, for some reason, go to the black side. So Bernadette really suffered with this. But Bernadette was more comfortable with... And Bernadette was one of those kind of girls that... Um, that she was more comfortable with the, with the black side of her family than she was the white mm-hmm. side. I could have been because they were German and the mother was, and the mother was very, um, she reminded me of Helga. <laughs> yeah. She was a strong. <laughs> I had to let Helga go. <laughs> I had to let Helga go. Um, you know, so, um, <laughs> so, and Bernadette was, is, is, is very pretty. Um, uh, all yeah. that. But anyway, so Bernadette, when she was involved with Randy Jackson, Tina was trying to protect her. Um, and Bernadette, and, and out of fairness, a lot of the stuff, uh, now, Going back to, there was a lot of stuff I would not dare put in the book because I couldn't put it in the book, and some things were really too private. But um, Randy Jackson was a horrible piece, and he had some very, very peculiar ways. If you get my choice, uh, yeah. let me ask than- you a question. Uh, just kind of off, you reminded me of something when you said about her relationship with her mother and and this and that. I wanted to ask you how your mother felt about your closeness with Tina, because at one point I remember you feeling and even expressing that you were closer to Tina than your own mother. Did did she have any insecurity about that relationship? And did that affect her in some way that she may have brought to your attention at some point or another? Yes, my mother was, um, my mother got a little bit, um, yeah, she was jealous. She was jealous. And every now and then something would come out and she would go, uh, like I would say something to my mother, like, oh, I wish you'd do this or do that or something. And, um, and she would go, why? I said, well, Tina does this and da 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 da. So I've started, as I started getting a little bit older, was comparing my mother with Tina. And mm-hmm. so my mother was like, but my mother, See, it's a very thin line. My mother and I were so close. We're, we we grew up so close. We were more like, in the early days, like brother and sister, more than she was my mother, but she was my mother because I, like I said, um, I had so much responsibility as a child. I, I never had a childhood. I never had a childhood. I All I had was responsibility. And then my mother remarried. My mother remarried. Um, our life changed. Um, my stepfather was yeah, I met him. Yeah, you met him several times. And he was a lovely yeah, man. Yeah, was it Ray? Ray, yeah, Ray. Yeah, Ray. Ray. Morris Ray. Yeah, yeah, but they raised you. I, I remember you had a beautiful house in Hancock Park, that big mansion. You had a convertible Corvette in high school. Your mother yeah. did a wonderful job with you, with the kids and your lifestyle and all of that. And, you know, she she was very, and she was very proper too and, very, and a beautiful lady. But one of the things that my mother did say and i i love her for this she said um i remember my stepfather said because he never overly interfered but he would every now and then crack a whip but he said to my mother one day he said aren't you a little bit worried that eddie is hanging out with all these um 
older people. I mean, the musicians, the Viking Tina Turner, and this and that. I never hung out with kids of my own age. See? And um, he brought that to my mother's attention. And my mother, I'll never forget my mother said, well, I'll tell you one thing. I can sleep at night because he's in safe hands. I never have to worry about getting a phone call in the middle of the night that he's out joyriding or he's with the wrong gang or they robbed the liquor store. She brought me up right and it made her feel so good. And if it was the price that she had to share with Tina, she was willing to do that. Um, and I was in a very good environment growing up. Yeah, you were. And I'm a witness to that. Very good environment. Listen, yeah. it's a great thing that you had experiences and travels and met people you would never, ever have met had it not been for Tina. She changed the experience of your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's, and, and then there was uh, other artists that I loved. I mean, I have to say that, you know, Tina Turner was my favorite female singer. Rod Stewart was my favorite male singer. Um, I loved Shirley Bassey. I loved Tom Jones. I loved the Rolling Stones. I loved um, all of these people. I end up going on the road with and meeting and sitting down you know, and because I was so close with Tina, wherever Tina went, I went. So a lot of the times the Rolling Stones, Nick or the guys or um, different celebrities would invite Tina out for dinner. Tina never went on her own. And I was always right by her side. Um, so I, 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 I got a chance to be around and grow up and experience being around all these celebrities and people. And, and there is a thing with celebrities. I mean, we all think like, oh, they're good friends. She's good friends with Shirley Bassett. She's good friends with Diana. Or she's good friends. But there, there's a few that you do like, um, like Bette Midler. Oh, God, I love Bette Midler, but she was terrified of Cher. I mean, you know, there's things in the book about uh, Cher chewing Bette Midler, a new asshole. And, and, and when Bette was telling us the story, she was like going, oh, my gosh, you know, that Cher, she's a little rough. You know, I mean, you know, it was like, you know, that kind of thing. Or coming out and all of a sudden, I'm such a fan of Shirley Bassey. Shirley Bassey comes to see us and... Um, see Tina live and um, I'm in the dressing room Tina says oh Eddie you go get Shirley and bring her backstage because you love Shirley so much so you go get Shirley so I went out and all of a sudden I'm so excited running to go get Shirley Bass and Miss Ground Down and her ass is on the floor <laughs> <laughs> oh that's when she slipped oh that's when she fell yeah there's also a great story uh-huh. there's a great story in the book you're yeah. in Australia and uh-huh. Bette Midler has come to see Tina Turner's show and the next night, Elton John's throwing a birthday party for Bet, oh. and they invite Tina, who brings you to the party. And it's—I'm not going to give it away, but it's a fun story. Yeah, it absolutely, is a fun story. if you, yeah, absolutely, if you have any interest in Tina or you're a fan of Tina's, you must read this book because you'll see a side of Tina that you won't get probably anywhere else, and you'll you'll come away liking her even more than you thought. Which you, which pro- most of us thought impossible because she was so likable and lovable and her music and, and everything about her spirituality and her energy. And I was privileged, thank you, Eddie, for bringing me into her world for that little while because uh, that's something I'll never forget and I'll cherish always. As and I cherish I you always, say, my dear friend. I do, I, I do have to say, and even with growing up and being in high school and all that stuff, I drove everyone. I remember Maria, Joey's mother, used to say to God, she used to say, oh, for fuck's sake, he's going on about that thing. I drove everyone crazy about Tina. I was, <laughs> and I actually grew up. You have to read the book because 
there were times when Tina and I were one. We were the same person. And we thought a lot. Mm -hmm. We just had so much in common. That's why this book is called The Real T and Me. It's my life with Tina. It's my life. Tina's life with me. I brought a lot of things out in Tina. I made her youthful again. I made her young. I made her fresh. We experienced things. But all the music and things that were going on with the youth, I was Tina's go-to. I would come and bring her. You all also, the you also created created her look on yes. on, on her um, her rebound. You know, the hair, the clothes, the, everything. You refined that for her and gave her a whole new expression. Yeah, I I have to just say quickly. You know, I would go shopping. We would be in Toronto someplace, and I love to shop. I Joey can tell you, I love to shop. And I was shopping, oh, and I went out, and all my money that I made on the road went on clothes and stuff. So I would go out shopping and come back and be all excited. I'd wear my muffins on and I would have this and have that and done that. And I walk in to go get Tina to start working. And she goes, where'd you get that? And I went, oh, I went shopping today. And, da, da, da. and she goes, oh, no, 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 no. She has, you, you have to go back and get me another one and get me one of those. And I said, oh, no, Tina, that was the last one. Da, da, da. And she would literally say, take it all. She goes, take it off. I'll give you the money. You go find something else. I'm having that. Or she would give me clothes. She would give me things, and I would wear them. And she goes, where'd you get that? I said, you gave it to me. She goes, oh, no, take it off. I'm having that back. I mean, that's how close we were. <laughs> you know, we had that's a fun. love and a bond, and I will never, ever experience that again. And another thing also, which was very important for me to write this book, was that I was so blessed and so lucky for the time to be able to get away and do the things that I was able to do. There's no way in hell that I, you could ever do the things, those kind of things now. And um, no. that, 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 that determination that I had, you have to remember something else too, which is really important. And the book will explain. Nothing was given to me. I mean, if anything, Tina was very much like, oh, he's a little bit too overly excited and da, 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 da. And then I learned to curve it down. I learned to, work with her. I learned to find out what she liked and didn't like and da 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 and I was determined to make sure that that woman was going to be my best friend and she was. Well, thank you, Eddie. It's so good catching up with you. I'm so proud of you and I'm happy about the book and um, we have a lot of fun things to look forward to together. We'll see you in London this year. And uh, we'll see you here when you start touring to promote the book. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Eddie. Talk soon. Be well. Don't forget to buy the book. It's on Amazon. <laughs> well, I knew that he would be an interesting interview. Oh, yeah. He's a couple of interviews. He's a he, couple of he, a lot of things. Yeah, no, but he's, he's, he's a character. person. Yeah, and the stories. I mean, I would highly encourage people to read the book if they're interested in Tina Turner. Oh, God, yeah. Because you get a completely different side of who she is. And what I found most interesting is she would tell him everything she had done, who she was with the night before, how good they were in bed, why she did it, why she didn't do it. You know, they bad people, good people. And she'd tell him all her secrets. Right. And he's revealed a lot of those stories. Um, the def the defense I will give him here because people will say, oh, it's kiss and tell is that he sent her the book before it was published originally and asked her to read it. And she came back and asked him to remove only three things, which he did. 
And he said, you know, if she'd asked me to remove more, I would have removed more. You know, I'll defend him on that and say he gave it to her. She read it. She said, remove these things. He did. And then he published what was left. Mm -hmm. And I found it fascinating. At first, I thought, oh, boy, this is going to be tough because they, they are very intimate stories, some of them. But at the end, you don't look badly on him or her about it because I think you feel you learned something real about yeah. this person as opposed to what the press you know, feeds to you. Right. This was also a woman that was rediscovering her career, her life, her independence, and her sexuality. You know, she mm -hmm. had been beat up, slave to Ike Seriously. in many ways and beat up in many ways. And all of a sudden now she has this power, this sexual power and this freedom to exercise some of her fantasies and some of her, you know, womanhood. Right. And she did it. And he was right there with her. And Eddie was as discovering his womanhood at the same time. <laughs> same time. Yeah, I mean, there's great stories about. You, you're not going to want to miss it. There's great stories about David Bowie, and yeah. Iman um, didn't talk to Eddie anymore after that either, because when she found out about the book later, she was married to David. She was very upset. Oh, that he because we knew Iman quite well. Right. She was not happy with that either. I mean, not that that's the one she's going to be to be pissed about when David. He's been sleeping with, with everybody. Mick Jagger and everybody right. else. Well, and she, by the way, she talks about Mick Jagger in this book. Uh, there's a lot of name dropping. Yeah. And a lot of parties. Pants dropping. And pants dropping. <laughs> and interestingly, uh, she didn't drink and she didn't do drugs. No, she didn't. And she was very she focused did, on her she career. Did champ drink champagne. champagne. But I mean, she didn't drink hard liquor and she oh, didn't drink heavily. Dom Perignon. They drank a lot of wine. As you read the book, they're always sitting yeah. down to open up a wine or uh -huh. to have some champagne. Yeah. But she didn't drink hard liquor and she didn't no, do all. drugs. Or Despite drugs. all those crazy drugs going no. around the studio and, you know, Ike and all his friends are doing heavy, heavy drugs. Yeah. And she avoided all of that. Completely. That's it for today. Get your copy. Get your copy. It's available on Amazon. The Real Tea and Me by Eddie Armani. Talk at you soon. Talk at you soon. This podcast is a production of the Villa Romana Network in association with Spotify.